Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to have Corey Ajme as my guest. Corey is an award-winning, best-selling author. Her first book was a collection of short stories titled Life and Other Shortcomings, and her most recent publication is a novel titled The Marriage Box. Corey writes both fiction and nonfiction about marriage, family, community, Jewish life, patriarchy, and culture. Her work has appeared in HuffPost, Newsweek, North American Review, Indiana Review, Motherwell, Feller, and others. When she is not writing, Corey does volunteer work, cooks, bikes, and hikes. She and her husband have five children and a number of grandchildren with more on the way. She lives and works in New York City. So welcome, Corey. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. And I've read The Marriage Box and I enjoyed it very much. It was a book that I read in two days because I couldn't put it down. It's quite the page turner. Uh, So to begin with, why don't you uh, give our listeners a brief synopsis of your new novel? Of course. Well, thank you so much for all you said about the marriage box. I really appreciate that. Um, And I will let you know that the marriage box um, has the protagonist. Her name is Casey Cohen, and she grows up in New Orleans in the 70s. And they grow up, um, they're Reformed Jews, and she doesn't know much about her Syrian background. But both of her parents had grown up in the Orthodox Syrian Jewish community in Brooklyn. And when Casey got to be 16, they decided they wanted to move back. They wanted her to live the community life and get married at 18, which was quite a shock to Casey, who thought she was going off to college. Um, And the interesting part about that premise that I just told you is that part is based on my actual life. That part is true. The rest of the book is fiction. So, you know, you... You did share uh, that this actually happened to you, and also uh, you wrote uh, that it took you 20 years to complete this book. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I think, you know, part of it was I was a young mom raising five kids, and so Mm -hmm. I think just time was an issue. But the other part was because it was based on my life that um, I think it was more difficult to write. It was hard. I needed distance. So I needed time to go by to see things from different perspectives and not have it be so raw. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think it, I was protecting my characters for a long time. You know, the, the main characters based on me. I didn't want people to think the mother or the father or the husband were based on the real people in my life. And so it took me a very long time before I could make the characters start to behave badly, which is really fun to do once you start doing it. So I made the character based on me do something I could never do. 
And then that was that. I was I was free to make everybody else do what they needed yeah, to do. I, so. I would imagine that that was a, probably a pretty um, huge issue for you. Um, so you actually had tra- trepidation that people would think it was more autobiographical than fiction. And I'm just wondering um, how you resolve that in your mind. Because I think, you know, people always sort of think it's um, autobiographical, you know, if you say it's it's based on your life. So how how did you resolve that? Uh, Like I said, it it took some time and it took, you know, uh, fooling around with the manuscript changing things. And the more I changed things and the more it became uh, farther from my real life, you know, more distant from my real life and things that didn't happen in my real life, the easier it was. I made some outrageous things happen too. You read the book, so you know. Right. Very, very interesting. Very compelling. (laughs) Read the book. Uh, Really. um, Yeah. (laughs) Casey was quite the rebel. Yeah, you know, I, I also I think what's really fun as a writer is I'm a, a good girl, you know, I was a good girl growing up and um, I didn't really break a lot of rules. And um, it's fun to create a character based on yourself that gets to go around, you know, breaking some rules and doing things that, you know, people are not going to be so happy about her doing. So, I, I mean, I would really be interested if you would just tell us you know, some of the similarities and differences between you and Casey? Okay, so Casey is thoughtful. Um, she cares about people. Um, and, and really, I think the, the main difference is she's a risk taker and she um, pushes boundaries more than I ever could have. And she actually does things that I could never do. Okay. Well, I, I, I have to ask this question because I'm just so curious. Uh, why did your parents decide to move back to Brooklyn when you were a teenager? And how, how was that for you? So both of my parents grew up in Brooklyn and mm-hmm. for them, that was a really comfortable place. All their friends were there. Um, and you, you know how you have those childhood attachments. So they always felt like New York was their home. Mm -hmm. And New Orleans was a place they went to when they first got married. My father had a work opportunity and they, they loved New Orleans. Um, But they always said one day they'd go back and years went by, like they picked their heads up and it was 16 years later. And they realized that if they didn't go back, probably the choices I was going to end up making were not going to match maybe what they wanted for me. Um, and I was still young enough where they could make that decision for me that I didn't have choice. So we moved. They wanted me to live community life. There were many, many wonderful, beautiful things about the Syrian community in Brooklyn. There were challenging things too, but I think that's in any community. Um, but anyway, that's what they wanted for me. And, um, it didn't have to work out how it did, but I think they were happy Uh, that I, I did get married at 18. I, I yeah I'm 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 sure that they did so that was um you mentioned in the book that that was one of the expectations of the Syrian Jewish community uh, 
in the 80s. Would you uh, maybe describe a little for our listeners um, what some of the other uh, expectations were and how Casey initially reacted to them? Sure. So um, the community, I think in the 80s, this is obviously just my personal opinion, um, marriage and family are a huge value. So for the women, it was get married and start a family. For the men, the biggest value was hard work and making money and providing for your family. Um, Those still exist today. Those are really important values in the community today, but it is 40, 50 years later, and it looks a little different now. The, The women get married a little bit older. Most women work while not giving up on those core values. Right. Um, so what, what do you think that the, the most, uh, the striking uh, differences uh, were from going from New Orleans, from a reform background um, into, into this um, Syrian Jewish community? Well, um, going uh, there were so many changes. I mean, going from reform to orthodox was a huge adjust, adjustment. I did not know any of the rules and the laws about keeping kosher or Shabbat. Um, I was really very much in the dark about that. But there were so many changes. It was even, even going from the south to the north or um, even not even understanding my Syrian background. I had one Ashkenaz grandmother and my Syrian grandmother had passed away before I was born. So I didn't have that link. And I didn't even know that there was such a thing as Syrian and Ashkenaz or what the differences might be. And so even just coming into the community and finding out that the foods are um, different and uh, the language is different and uh, some of the culture, the cultural expectations are different because traditionally, historically, Ashkenaz Jews have really valued education. And that wasn't something that was particular, particularly valued then. It is now. Yeah, I also thought, um, I, I was very interested in the um, practices uh, that you described in the book of the uh, Orthodox Syrian community, which uh, differs uh, in many instances with the with the Ashkenazi Orthodox community. Um, would you tell us a little bit about some of the differences? Well, one I mentioned in the book is on Passover, Sephardic Jews, Syrian Jews uh, eat rice. Yeah, well, and- now, now the conservative movement <laughs> says you can eat rice because they they the reason you couldn't eat rice was because in ancient times they stored the rice in flour, but they no longer do that. So isn't that interesting? And in Israel, they do eat kidney oat, rice and beans. Uh-huh. So, so but I think probably, yeah. Okay. <laughs> things change. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I and mean, there are other um traditions that we have, like there is something called a swanny, which I write about in the book as well, which originally was just a a way for the groom's parents to deliver to the bride um, 
money to go to the mikveh. So it would often be in a beautiful little pouch or purse, and maybe a perfume bottle might be included or something simple, and it would be delivered to the bride's home um, so that she could go to the mikveh, immerse in the, in the ritual bath before her wedding night. In the 80s, as all, I mean, in America, you know, the country was thriving and there was a lot of opulence. And in the community, it was really the, the community had come to America. They didn't have any money. And by the 80s, they were a wealthy community. So my first Swanny was shocking. And again, I write about this in the book, um, just the extravagance of what it was a party, not just a quiet delivery. Mm -hmm. And the party was open um, displays of lovely perfume bottles and jewelry and beautiful silk lingerie and sheets and towels and the best of everything and displayed beautifully. I mean, it was just shocking, beautiful, but really over the top. So striking in a lot of ways. And again, that's something that's also changed because the community, there are plenty of people who have a lot of money and there are plenty of people who don't today. Um, the community's gotten very big. And so things have become more modest again. Well, that's interesting. So, so Corey, tell us about the title, uh, The Marriage Box, um, the cover uh, depicts the, the marriage box uh, very well. But uh, for, for our listeners, um, tell us what that signifies. So we would go to a beach club um, <coughs> in the summer. And it, at, in the beach club, there was a pool. And behind the pool area, there was a, just a section where teenage girls would go and lounge on their chairs and hang out and boys would come to ask them on dates. And they called this area the marriage box because mm -hmm. really it wasn't just about the dates. It was, they were looking for a bride. They were looking for a wife. They were looking to get married. And uh, yeah, it was called the marriage box. Yeah. And it's interesting uh, on the cover and you describe in the book that, that these girls are wearing bikinis, which again, would be totally frowned on uh, by ultra-Orthodox uh, Ashkenazic Jews. Um, did you ever consider a different title for the book or, or did it always have to be The Marriage Box? No, actually I had other titles. And uh -huh. um, when I stumbled on The Marriage Box, I was like, that's it. it just because it had a double meaning and it just seemed to like really hold all the thoughts and themes and everything I wanted to say in the title. So once I, once I had thought of it, that was it. I knew oh, it. Had. It's a, yeah. It's a great <laughs> title. I think Thank it's a you. perfect title for the book. So um, what's been the reaction from the Syrian Jewish community to the marriage box? I mean, well, I'm sure there's not a monolithic answer to this, but so let's just say what are some of the reactions? <laughs> So overall, I'd say with like the reaction I've gotten the most was, I love it. I've read it in two days. Mm -hmm. So that was good news. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and definitely there were some people who had questions. Like they, they actually were really um, generous in their, you know, if they did have fear about what was said, or if they did 
um, feel uncomfortable about something that was said. They brought it up at a book talk and we talked about it. And I think by the end, they were able to see this book as a snapshot of who we were in at a specific point in time, because it, it doesn't look the same today. So yeah, it, could you just talk about that a little bit? Um, maybe what somebody brought up one example and what it looked like back then, which you described so beautifully in the book and what it looks like today. Oh, well, okay. So the example that came to mind doesn't necessarily have to do with like then and now, but just somebody said it makes the Syrian men not look so good. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, my agent wants to date Michael. So you know, that's just an mm -hmm. opinion. And, and that was just a great um, example of you know, sometimes too, they're reading it differently because they're worried, let's say, about what other people might think. And the way I think about it is like every character is flawed. So, and, and the community was almost like a character. So Casey has redeeming qualities and she has qualities she probably could work on. And so does the mother, the father, and everybody else in the book. And so does the community. And the point of the book was to bring up some of these questions or concerns and be able to look at it honestly and say, okay, what part of this is working and what part might we want to change? Okay, so uh, how have your family and friends reacted to the book? It, this, my, my, very well. I mean, really, I think, um, I think that, and this is also, this is another answer to why it took me so long to write the book. I think it has a playful tone. It does. And, it thank does. you. And I think that's yes. what allows like the, the if there's a, a critical eye at all, um, it's, it's done through humor and there's a playfulness about it. So it's not like mean spirited. So I really think that's been the thing that made it really okay to say what I needed to say, even with the mother. I mean, you could look at the mother character, let's say, for example, and say, well, that's not very good mothering <coughs> in a specific instance. Mm -hmm. um, or you can just be like, you know, this is, this is, this is, she's a great character. Like she's just fun or she's, you know, and I think people, you know, it's both. It's, it's both. It doesn't make her a bad person. But um, so, yeah, I think just playing with the characters and having it be nuanced has mm -hmm. been helpful. Well, you um, are still in the Syrian Jewish community, so obviously uh, you enjoy it and, and like being a part of it. I'm just wondering, uh, you have five children. How has your own experience impacted the way uh, you raised your children? Uh, I believe you have two daughters and three sons. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Oh, so especially your daughters. And did you raise your sons and daughters differently or had to, had to raise your children? I mean, I, I in, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, um, you know, I definitely did not want my children to get married uh, super young. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, my older, my oldest daughter got married when she was 27, which, you know, mm -hmm. is still reasonably young in, in, in the country, but for the community that was on the older side, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, education was super important to me from the beginning. Um, and so they're in the community, but you know, I also have, with all the respect that I have for the community, I've also done things differently and do things outside sometimes, and and they do too. You know, they're they're also they grew up in it, so they feel really comfortable, and it's their life. It, it, they they love being part of the community. Mm-hmm. So how how are your grandchildren being brought up? I mean, they're modern, you, you know, they, they, they're modern in like some ways that they, um, they, they live in this country and they're assimilated in a certain way, but we do keep Shabbat and we are together every Friday night and for Saturday lunch and we keep all the holidays. And, and even within that, like people observe in different ways, my husband and I, and all the family members do things differently. My mm-hmm. husband doesn't turn on and off the lights on Saturday, but I will. So mm-hmm. we're, we're both keeping Shabbat. We're both home. You know, we're with our family. We're having lunch, but the details might look different. So a part of what I'm, I tried to do with this book too, and the more conversations I'm having with people in New York, in LA and New Orleans, and is I think, Jewish people are not one thing. And I've been saying this a lot. And the more I'm having these conversations, the more I'm seeing how people are constructing their own way of observing and their own way of um, honoring and cherishing their Jewish life. And I just think that this book has brought out many conversations for me that have been super satisfying to, to say, here's another community that does things a little bit differently. And it goes down to the individual level as well and within families. And, um, and I'm just learning more and more about that. And it's been really fascinating. I, I think that that's very, very true. I do think though, that when people hear the, um, uh, you know, the word, orthodox they they think of the letter of the law so i think um i i think most most jews make their own rules but i or not make their own rules but decide which rules um to follow so i think it was just very eye-opening um you know that it's the syrian orthodox community because it sounded uh, in reading the book, that it's certainly much more flexible um, than the Ashkenazic Orthodox community. Well, I'll tell you another thing that happened um, probably by the mid-80s. Um, there was a movement, and the community looks really different than it did in the 80s, because in the 90, or mid-80s, early 90s, there was beginning to be a split And so today the community is really big. And so part of the community might look somewhat like what I represented in the marriage box. Mm -hmm. But there is a, you know, maybe, I don't know the numbers, but, you know, half the community looks like what you might expect an Orthodox Jew to look like in their, what they wear and how they go to synagogue and pray and, you know, all the things that you might have traditionally um thought to be what orthodox judaism looks like 
And I just think like all of this is part of a journey. We came here in the early 1900s and struggled to find our way. So just like every community. So in the 60s, there was more assimilation. And by the 80s, there was all this wealth and opulence. And then by the 90s, they were reverting back to some of the traditional ways. Um, and it's just a, a, a process of growth and change and trying to fit in, but trying to maintain their their traditions. And it's a process. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I, I, I'm thinking about maybe it was about 20 years ago, my my husband and I went to um, a Syrian wedding in uh, I believe it was Deal, New Jersey. <clears throat> And um, was a, a colleague of his who was uh, marrying a, a Syrian woman, and it was it was amazing because they had um, one room uh, with Syrian food and a Syrian band, and then another room with, you know, typically I'm sure it was all kosher, but American food and and an American band and I just remember I don't know whether this is true or not true um but he the groom told us that when they send out the invitations they put um two different times on the invitations because um Syrians don't tend to come at the exact time I mean is that it's true. So that had that. <laughs> I was afraid to say <laughs> I had that in the book and I ended up pulling that. I don't know why I didn't make that. That I guess it's I didn't read that in the book, but I, I, I just wanted to ask you this because you know I've had that in my mind for all these years and I thought, well, maybe it's not true. It is no, true. It's true. It's true. It it doesn't make any sense at all, but <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's true. I don't know where it started from exactly or how, but like, you know, if you get an invitation that says 6 p.m., you yeah. know, it really means 8 p.m. Now, I don't know how yeah. we know wow. that, and I don't know how we ever figure out how to get anywhere on time, <laughs> <laughs> but it is well, true. Well, that's, that's, that's very, that's very interesting. Um, so let, I want to just um, shift gears for, for a minute. So what did you learn from writing your book? Oh, wow. It's a good question. I mean, there were so many things like on a personal level as a writer. Um, on a personal level, really what feels um, empowering to me about this was that it did take so long and that I didn't give up. And I don't even know why it was so important to me. It was such a dream to see the marriage box published mm -hmm. and learning that you can have a dream, stick to it and make it happen has been really empowering. Um, so I, I'd say that's a big one. That was a big one. And trusting myself, trusting myself um, to keep going because I did question a lot of times over those years. Um, yeah, I think I think you were very uh, courageous, Corey, because, uh, you know, you you could have it could have been, you know, misinterpreted or misread or, you know, there could have been pushback from from the community. So I think you were very bold and courageous to go forward with that. 
Thank you. I mean, I, I do think yeah. that's a big part of why it took me so long. I really wanted to make sure that mm -hmm. I wasn't going to upset anybody. Now that doesn't mean- Oh wait, you're always going to upset somebody. Well, yeah, I did, well, yes, of course. But what I meant was um, like, you know, um, unnecessarily hurt people. Mm -hmm. Did I want, I did want to raise questions. I did want it to provoke, but not, a, not in an annoying way, just to provoke for the sake of provoking, but like right. really for the sake of, you know, with love too. I do think if I didn't get married at 18 and I got married at 30 and I was kind of mockingly writing about this character who got married at 18, I think people could have had more to say. But the fact that I got married at 18 and I'm still married, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, I'm the insider in that case. So, and the fact that I didn't leave the community and I'm writing about it from this other place because I've judged it and now I've left, you know, then well, you're- That's a whole different thing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm inside, I'm here, I'm saying, I love it. It's mine, I, this, is, this is my world. And so I think it does give me a little leverage to be able to say, what I want to say and, and more credit credibility for sure mm -hmm. yeah and honestly really there is no judge I don't have judgments about what other people should do I'm not saying 18 year olds should or shouldn't get married um I'm not I'm just saying this is what can happen here is a story yeah no it's a it's 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 a great story so tell us a little bit about I know it took 20 years, but I know that you're, you are a prolific uh, writer. Um, what was your writing process like for The Marriage Box? <clears throat> well, again, because my kids were small, I started really just writing scenes. Mm -hmm. um, just, I had a bunch of scenes. Um, and for a long time, they didn't necessarily connect and I didn't have like the, the, the plot. I didn't have a thread that was tying them all together. Mm -hmm. um, but when they were small, I just didn't have all that much time. And even as the pages started to come together and that maybe they started to form into like a beginning or a middle, I'd get through a bunch of pages. And then for whatever reason, I'd be called away. And sometimes I'd have to put the manuscript down for weeks and even months. Then by the time you get back into it, you know, it just takes time to pick up the thread and to pick up the emotional beat where you were. So it was a long process just in um, trying to string together enough time. Um, but once I did start to get enough time, it was really about now taking these scenes and figuring out what is the beginning, the middle, and the end. Mm -hmm. And um, and it changed a lot. My ending changed. I've, 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 there were a lot of changes over the years. I'm sure, so, I'm sure. So the, the main answer to the question is the process was slow. <laughs> slow. But I was, okay. also, I was also learning to write. Like you asked me, what else did I learn from writing The Marriage Box? Like you said, I've, I've been writing other things all these 20 years, but The Marriage Box was the manuscript that I look at and say, this is where I was practicing. This is where I was learning. This is where anything I wanted to try, I tried it here. Mm. So when did you first decide you wanted to be a writer? Um, I was late 30s and um, I, I had been a school teacher for fourth and fifth graders. 
Mm-hmm. And when I was pregnant with my fifth child, I was finishing graduate school where I was um, taking storytelling and how to use storytelling in the classroom. And I did my thesis on that. And, um, <laughs> and, and I just wanted to keep telling stories when I was done writing my thesis. So I took a class at Gotham Writers and mm-hmm. wrote my first short story. And one thing led to the next. I went to Breadloaf conference and um, with each publication, I got a little more confident, although it, it took some time after each, after the first, I was like, can I get a second one? I don't know. And it was a slow build. And then after I had written a bunch of short stories, I really woke up one day, like, I think I'll write a novel. And just, I had no idea that it was going to be for me a totally different. So, so I'm interested in that because I, I also loved your, um, your first book, which was uh, Life and Other Shortcomings, which is a collection of your short stories, but you didn't intend to put them in a book. You just started writing stories and then it became a book. Is that how that worked? And I'm really interested uh, in what, what do you see as the main difference between writing a short story and writing a novel? So yeah, all the stories were standalone pieces at mm-hmm. first. And mm-hmm. I I think it was um, when I was reading Olive Kitteridge. Oh, I love Olive Kitteridge. <laughs> yeah, and is it from the Goon Squad? Because both of those books are told like in stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what inspired me to put the stories together, to link them. Mm-hmm. And and for me, it, it it was a really fun part of the process linking them, and and they the characters seemed like they would know each other, so it actually worked. And mm-hmm. then the short story collection wasn't exactly like a novel, but it had a little bit of like an arc because right. you would find out, you know, in one of the end stories what happened to the character in one of the earlier stories. Um. So yeah, they were standalone pieces at first and then just changing a few, very few details, I was able to put those together. Do you, do you have a preference? Um, if, if you had your choice, um, would you write short stories or, or write a novel? And a novel's a tremendous amount of work, right? Definitely. Um, well, as I was writing The Marriage Box, I was saying, I'll never do this again. I'll never do this again. I'll never do this again. I'm going back to short stories. And it's not true. I wrote another Well, that leads me to my next question. (laughs) What's next for you, Corey? I I have a draft of a novel. Um, Oh, you do? (laughs) I do. I do. Um, But what I'm finding is I'm a really slow writer. And I'm just trying to lean into it. I'm just trying to accept it because... You know, I see these writers, they get a book out every year. I mean, you're one of them. I'm like, no, oh. no, no. It's two and a half years. It's, I don't know. It felt very fast. But I, like, I just. Because of COVID, we totally lost all sense of time. <laughs> I, you know, my book came out, the first book came out the same day as your book of short stories. It's yeah. two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but the, uh, for you. me, the math, I mean, but yours was you did it from the beginning mine the marriage box had been already in the works Mm. anyway uh, all that to say is I do have a completed draft of another book and yet I'm going back and editing and it's 
it's a slow process so for me. So I'm trying to not beat myself up about it and just accept it. I have to just lean into it and say, this is the way I work. This is how I roll. And that's it. That's just well, it's fine. I mean, you're just, your book uh, just came out. So whenever the next one comes out, it comes out, right? Yes. Um, so we're, we're, we're uh, wrapping up here. Um, where, where can listeners find you online, Corey? Oh, um, well, um, Amazon has my book. Is that what you mean? Or, oh, you mean like uh, Instagram at my well, name? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I will direct you to my website, which is coreyajme.com, although that was really difficult. Um, my website, which I've had for about 10 years, totally crashed. Uh, really? 10, 10 mm. days into publication. Mm. I mean, nothing. There was nothing. So <laughs> that was pretty stressful. But it seems to be up now and just working slowly. I think it might even be all good now, but we're working on it daily. And and yeah, my website has lots of different purchasing choices and you can learn more about me. You can contact me, see we could do an event. You can look at past events, like, you know, you could, all the usual stuff. Oh, and my blog is there. Okay. So um, is there anything else you would like to share that we haven't covered? Thank you. I think you did a great job. I loved this conversation. Oh, it was a great conversation. A great conversation. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Corey Ajmi. The book is The Marriage Box. I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain, the author of The Takeaway Men. The sequel, Shadows We Carry, is now available. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylain.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book.